0: Uh, we do have Bronco with us right now, though. How are you doing, Bronco? Hey, good. How are you going? Oh, uh, pretty decent. So, yeah, uh, you know, one thing, just want to remind people, as always, since we're getting into less than three weeks before the date, uh, there is the uh, the main show on YouTube, uh, Give Them an Argument, uh, the, there is the Give Them an Argument slash Left Reckoning slash uh, This is Revolution podcast live show coming up in New York. On January 22nd, that's uh, at the Cutting Room, which uh, is very centrally located. It's like half a mile from Penn Station. Uh, we're going to have Bhaskar Sankara from Jacobin. We're going to have Emma and Sam for the Majority Report. Uh, should, be, uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll put the link to that in the description when this is published. Um, so, again, that is the – so it's Sunday evening, uh, January 22nd. Um so uh meanwhile, as far as uh, as far as this shows goes, after this time, you know, I normally try to do this. I, you know, I say that as if I've been doing this forever, but you know, in like the week that I've been trying to do it at the schedule, I've been trying to do this at uh, seven PM Eastern every day so people know what it is and you know, and it's uh it's a reliable, predictable daily schedule. Uh, but obviously right now, uh, because of Glenn's schedule, he's in you know, Brazil and his other commitments, you know, we're having to do it at a, uh, very different time. Um, and then we are going to be off for three days. Uh, we are going to, um, be completely off Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, because I'm going to be traveling. I'm going to be speaking at the university, you know, Western Connecticut State University, I guess. And uh, but then we'll be be back in uh, on on Saturday to to do the regular schedule for you know a couple weeks I think at least before the next time that uh, that life gets in the way. Uh, finally, uh, you know, do uh, check out the episode uh, the last episode we did of the regular show on YouTube uh, that was with Crystal Ball and R M Brown. Uh, last night, you know, kind of looking back at many of the very normal things that, you know, just happened in this very normal year of 2022. Uh, so a lot of fun, really happy with that, how that came together. So, um, so yeah, go, go check that out on, uh, on, on YouTube. I almost, I'm such an old man, I almost gave the URL, but people don't do that on YouTube. Just, you know, give them an argument. Uh, but, uh, that's, uh, that's what I've got. So while we wait for, uh, for Glenn, um, Bronco, what's uh you know? Other than the obvious, what we're here to talk about, what's on your mind today? What are you, what are you working on right now? Uh, at the moment, I'm working
1: on a piece, uh, very short piece, uh, about, uh, Juan Guaido being, uh, <laughs> uh stripped of his, uh, fictional title of, uh, president of Venezuela. Uh, for people who don't remember or maybe weren't following it, um, back in 2019 when the Trump administration was trying to foment a coup in Venezuela, Juan Guaido was kind of this lab grown uh you know uh obama-like uh figure who who was sort of meant to be uh be, be the guy to replace him he was going to be the western friendly uh neoliberal uh politician who would who would uh lead venezuela and you know uh open it up to private investment and, and do you know the bidding of the united states um he basically just declared himself uh president of venezuela in 2019 um, as, as uh, massive anti-government protests were happening um, and was calling for the military to, to step in to remove Maduro from power. Um, it, it ended up going nowhere. Um, mm-hmm. There's many criticisms to be made of Maduro, but, you know, uh, it, it's ultimately a good thing that Guaido did not come to power. That would have been disastrous for, for Venezuelans who, despite whatever problems they have with Maduro, uh, do not want their country uh, to be, you know, become uh, a, a tool of, uh, of the United States um, mm-hmm. at you know, to lose a lot of the uh, the reforms that they've uh, that they've that they've had since the Chavez years, uh, and now you know it's been what three years since then, four years now since then. Um, there's been tons of memes of you know people kind of mocking Guaido. You know, whenever anything would happen, an election in the UK or in Canada. You know, if, uh, if the UK Prime Minister resigned, for instance, or you know when the the Queen of England uh, died, or uh, when the Iowa caucuses happened, you know, there's inevitably a meme, someone sharing uh, Guaido declaring himself winner of the Iowa caucuses or declaring himself now king of the United Kingdom or, you know, uh, uh, saying that he had won the uh, the Canadian election and so on and so forth. Um, as as a kind of ribbing of the fact that he had just kind of baselessly <laughs> declared himself president, um, and now he's gone. So so the opposition, this experiment has not worked. You know, uh, because of the what's been happening uh, with with the U.S. Um, effort in Ukraine, uh, the, because of the economic uh, rebounding of all that, uh, now the United States has a slightly more uh, friendly posture towards uh, Venezuela. It realizes it kind of needs its oil. So the appetite for Guaido has has subsided, and so the opposition got rid of him. They they vote him out as, as leader of the opposition. Um, so there ends this experiment, um, uh, this, this four year long experiment.
0: Well, I hear a, I hear a Pope Emeritus position just opened up, so maybe <laughs> maybe Juan Guaido can do that. But all right, uh, we have uh, we have Glenn. How are you doing, Glenn?
2: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for doing this. I'm always happy with any episode that entails the removal of discussions from twitter onto a more human platform so i'm happy to be here
0: yeah uh yeah it is really I think that is really valuable uh, to uh, to be able to to do this in long form with our voices uh, instead of in uh, 280 character blast. And, and I will say, actually, I've been really surprised since uh, since I first started this, you know, because I, I initially assumed it's like, OK, I was up for it. But I thought the Colin would be much more of a shit show than it would be because, you know, people are always yelling at me on Twitter. And I thought like a lot of them would take advantage of the opportunity to do so <laughs> with their voices but uh i think that's just enough more socially awkward that uh, that you know I've, I've been consistently shocked by how few people actually do it but uh but i think for that very you know the sort of very reason that you know that you don't really get people acting the same way on here they do on twitter it's uh it's really good to uh it's really good to do this uh here instead of twitter uh wh- where is it in Bra- what time is it in brazil by the way just out of curiosity So we're
2: two hours ahead. We're usually just an hour ahead of the East Coast, but for three months or so so of the year during what is our winter, which is now, um, we're two hours ahead. So it's 2 p.m. here.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, as, as Glenn already kind of said, you know, we're, we're doing this because, um, a week or two ago I saw, uh, there was a conversation going on between Bronco and Glenn on, um, uh, on, on Twitter and, uh, and at a certain point, you know, I think I wasn't really participating. I think I was out walking my dog, uh, in the, uh, you know, dirt road around here. uh, What what were
2: you doing away from Twitter? How were you not glued to your screen for every possible development?
0: Yeah, no, I, I really dropped the ball on that. But, uh, since I, since I hadn't done that, it did occur to me, um, as I was, as I was watching, it's like, actually, I'd really like to talk to both of them about it, but like, not like this, uh, and to do something like this instead. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, let's, let's, let's go ahead and do it. So, um, so all all of this started uh because of something uh that you Glenn had said about um the you know I, I don't want to put words in your mouth but just to set it up a little bit you know the the sort of stance of the left or I think you used the phrase the Bernie AOC left on um the national security state the intelligence agencies all of that and then and then Bronco had disagreed with that so Uh, Glenn, do you want to just kind of start us off with, with like what your analysis of all of that is?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think one of the problems Twitter has, but actually all political discourse has is sometimes this nomenclature gets very confusing because if you use the words left or liberal or anything like that, it can mean lots of different things to lots of different people, which in turn can dictate whether someone agrees or not with the statement you've made strictly because of that confusion, that definitional confusion. So it is hard to talk about, I guess, for me, what I try and distinguish is between what I'll call the mainstream left, for lack of a better term, by which I simply mean that part of the left that has found some kind of meaningful representation in national politics. Like, in order to be part of the mainstream, I would say you at least need one or two or a few members of, like, a country's parliament or Congress, and... Whether someone considers AOC or, you know, Anna Presley or Bernie at this point on the left is something a lot of people will vehemently debate. But I don't think there's any question to the extent there is a left in mainstream politics, as I defined it, meaning representation in Congress. They are the most left wing uh, figures. Um, so when I say the mainstream left or the Bernie AOC left, I'm trying to, to distinguish between the part of the left that still considers their politics to be inextricably linked to the Democratic Party, that believes in voting for the Democratic Party pretty much no matter what, unconditionally, every two or four years, no matter how begrudgingly, who followed Bernie's lead in 2016 and voted for Hillary, who did it again in 2020, even more enthusiastically and voted for Biden. Kind of the part of the left that conceives itself as tied to the Democratic Party. And then there's a... Kind of more, I would say, traditional left that isn't necessarily against ever voting for Democrats, but certainly is willing to refrain and not do so or vote for a third party or, or abstain at all. And to me, that is a left wing that exists in the United States, but has a small presence by virtue of the fact that they're not in the mainstream as I define it, namely there's no elected officials. And so I was drawing that distinction in order to say that to me, this mainstream part of the left has had on their agenda almost a complete disappearance of any uh, concerns about or focus on much less opposition to the U.S. security state, the CIA, the uh, NSA, the FBI. Sometimes there's even praise for those agencies or calls for them to do more. I found it really ironic that the Biden administration, which clearly and for good reason, was on the side of Lula rather than Bolsonaro. A very ironic thing for the United States to be rooting for the more left-wing candidate in Latin America, something that's not been uh, true historically, sent the CIA to tell Bolsonaro, you're gonna have a huge price to pay if we think you're fiddling with the election. And the Brazilian left cheered for that, that kind of CIA interference in Brazilian politics. And so did parts of the mainstream left, including Bernie. And so I, I think, Obviously, for me, the defining moment was back in May when there was a vote on whether to send $40 billion to fuel what became the proxy war of the United States and Ukraine. And every member of the Democratic Party included the squad and Bernie voted yes, while six or seven dozen Republicans voted no. And, you know, it wasn't like they were unaware of of why doing that was anathema anathema, anathema, to left-wing politics. Bernie wrote a great article in The Guardian before the war, warning about the dangers of any U.S. involvement in the war. Ilhan Omar did the same. And Cori Bush, on the day she voted for it, issued a statement that sounded like a really eloquent defense of voting no. You know, this is all going to Raytheon and CIA. and We're fighting neo-Nazi militias and we're taking away from the needs of the American people. But the fact that they all voted yes, not even a single no vote, to me, signified that this faction has really fallen into line with the Democratic Party and and does what it's told and has almost no concerns over things like the security state or, say, the role of tech monopolies in censoring the Internet or controlling our discourse. Certainly not anywhere near the left traditionally was concerned about those issues. Gotcha. Yeah. Can I just have one brief point before sure, I, before please, I please. Uh, and I'm sorry, I know I talked a while, but just I want to just make this one, I think it's key, is the reason I made that distinction is because the part of the left that isn't mainstream or tied to the Democratic Party, and obviously there have been lots of Jacobin articles I've cheered and promoted, and kind of other parts of the left wing that I find myself having significant common ground with, does take strong positions, including parts of DSA in these areas, you know, worrying about the CIA opposing the U.S. role in Ukraine. So I was distinguishing between the mainstream left and that other part of that.
0: Yeah, I, I get that. I mean, I do wonder, uh, part of the distinction that you made initially was about elections. Uh, and I do wonder if we want to separate off those issues a little bit since, uh, you, know, what, you know, one issue is about what no, somebody's no. policy preferences are. Um, And then another issue is is how they navigate navigate. the terrible choices (laughs) that are given to people by American elections. Uh, And, you know, and and I think that there are presumably at least some people that you're, you know, like or you know, might have written those Jacobin articles you're talking about, et cetera, who would say, okay, look, if you're, um, you know, like voting third party doesn't really do anything. Uh, that, that doesn't seem to be a very effective lever of, you know, it's a sort of maybe symbolic protest, but you know, that's, uh, that's it. Uh, so, uh, so if you have an election where overall your assessment is that one side is 10,000 miles from your politics and the other is 11,000 miles from your politics, uh, Uh, you know, you might vote for the (laughs) 10,000 miles away anyway. Uh, but that doesn't, uh, you know, but that's a, that's a pragmatic, uh, you know, that's a pragmatic distinction that might be a little bit separate from uh, from the other distinction that you're going for. I just, I just wanted to, to kind of throw in that. Yeah, for sure. From that, from that's a Noam
2: Chomsky argument, right? I mean, right. he, you know, is vehemently opposed to the U.S. role in Ukraine. The narrative about Ukraine obviously regards the CIA, FBI and NSA and, and Justice Department as malicious entities, but nonetheless does take that view and always has. You know, mm-hmm. every four years he pops up and says, just a reminder, you know, voting for the Democrats and the lesser of two evils is the obligation of every moral person. And, and, you know, we've had that debate before. I do consider that a little separate. I consider that a reasonable position, though not one I share. But the one that I find disturbing much more so is what I consider this kind of new development from the Trump era of regarding these agencies as as more benign because they were seen as allies correctly against Trump. And then the kind of broader questions that Trump ended up joining in, like questioning NATO, um, defending Assange and Snowden, though he didn't pardon them, things that have taken on a lot of uh, resonance on on the right. I think people on the left began kind of distancing themselves from that, even though they had always agreed with it because of that. You still see these issues very prominent among the international left, like Lula crusades for Assange constantly, He says Zelensky is as much to blame as as uh, Russia for the war. You know, Jeremy Corbyn opposed covid um, uh, vaccine mandates and passports. So I think when you scan out and you look at the international left, these changes are not as visible, but it's really the American mainstream left where they've become, I think, largely due to Trump, much more conspicuous.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Let, well, I, let me let me jump in here because no, uh, I think the, the problem here is the slipperiness of the terms that are being used. So, the, the, what is the left? The the left is at minimum it is people with a critique of capitalism. It's people that want to fundamentally restructure uh, the, the, the capitalist system, if not abolish it entirely, uh, as well as to fundamentally restructure the the, the basic social order uh not just sort of you know mild incremental reforms uh you know i think what we're talking about here or what you're talking about glenn is is liberals liberals and democrats which are distinct from the left i know in the u.s in, in mainstream u.s discourse people talk about the left and they mean democrats but that is not the left and the, the the tweet I was responding to, the reason I responded to it is because I've seen you make this point a number of times. And I think it's really misleading to, to people. And I'll tell you why I think that's a, that's a significant thing. But first, just to, to read the tweet, you said, there's virtually no discussion now in the mainstream Bernie AOC left about the US security state and the nefarious actions of CIA, FBI, NSA. Now, I mean, Jacobin, in these times, current affairs, uh, you could go down the list, about you know, DSA. I mean... These are, in the public imagination, Bernie, AOC, left-wing entities. Um, so when you, I know you are the mainstream in there, that has not been in previous tweets, I will say. But I don't think that distinction is uh, clear enough uh, to, to, to people to understand that you're meaning, you know, uh, I guess liberals and Democrats who may support some of these politicians rather than uh, the actual radical left, uh, uh, which which does constantly. Uh, uh, write about CIA and FBI and other national security abuses, which is concerned about tech censorship and writes about it very often, uh, including uh, two of the, the the left-wing voices on this very call. Uh, the reason why this is important, um, it, it, obviously, you know, there's, there's a personal element of, uh, over here in the sense that, you know, I am of the left. I write about these issues. Uh, so it's a little, you know, galling to me to, to hear that there's no discussion when I'm writing about it constantly and I, and I read it constantly. But beyond that, the, the thing that's actually of, of real significance, I think, is that, and I, and I, you know, I said this to you, uh, uh, via Twitter DMs, uh, taking on the, the, the national security state, making fundamental Reforms, restructuring, rollbacks of, of the, the, the massive uh, 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 seizure of, of power and centralization of power by these agencies. Um, not to mention, you know, fundamentally changing US foreign policy. That is an immensely difficult, uh, uh, overwhelmingly difficult task. Um, and it's, it's one that I think obviously the left needs to play a, a, a leading role on, and, and I think it does. But I do think it needs a kind of cross-ideological, cross-partisan position. Uh, a, a coalition rather. Um, and I think this kind of thing, you know, when when if you're telling your followers constantly that, you know, the left is authoritarian and they don't care about this stuff, they don't care about national security abuses, about war, that actually makes the prospect of such a thing happening uh, much more remote because people go, oh, OK, that's what I've heard about, you know, these these crazy socialists who all love AOC and Bernie um it, it is true yeah they they are authoritarians they they don't care about all the stuff that i care about there's no there's no meeting in the middle with these people um and that is a uh, ultimately a very detrimental thing for i think the the uh political objectives that both you and i and and ban and others uh want to achieve and i think it, it sort of ends up uh, serving a very similar purpose as um As, as, as kind of what cable news does, which is to, to create these kind of, uh, segregated audiences, um, and, and try and forestall any, any attempt at coalition building, you know, to, to make people not realize that actually they have a lot more in common and they have a lot more, uh, things that they agree on, uh, than they, than they disagree on. So that, that's, you know, AOC, Bernie, and you know what their votes are. Uh, you'll find plenty of criticism from me about that. You'll you'll find plenty of criticism from from the left, from from socialists, from DSA. Uh, if you if you talk to people, that a lot of people have a lot of unhappiness about a bunch of stuff that that uh, you know the DSA electeds uh, so-called. Who, by the way, aren't aren't even some of them aren't even part of DSA anymore. But but some of the votes they've taken um, and some of the things they've said and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I don't know if that's such an interesting discussion.
0: So, so let me let me just, before obviously, I want to give Glenn a chance to uh, respond to that, but before we do that, I, I do just want to quickly push on a couple of parts of that. So, uh, it also occurs to me that, uh, anybody who's, uh, who's not familiar with Bronco might be wondering why his, uh, little icon here in Colin is a picture of Joe Biden. Uh, that's <laughs> uh, the, you know, and there's a sort of strange disconnect between that and what he's saying. That's because it's a, <laughs> a, a, uh, that's the cover image from his book, Yesterday's Man, the case against Joe Biden.
1: A fawning, uh, we call you Bronco, idolizing Joe Biden. <laughs>
0: Um, but it's, uh, but, but, but I think that is actually a good setup because you're, you know, you talked about just now, just like Glenn did earlier about the Democrats, but of course, uh, you know, Glenn's point is that, uh, is precisely that Democrats like Bernie or like, you know, AOC and the other members, the so-called squad in Congress, um, are uh, too close for comfort on some of these issues to, to to regular Democrats, and you know, you said a lot about the distinction, the distinction between, between Democrats, Democrats and like activists, uh, you know, left publications like Jacobin, left activist organizations like DSA. Uh, but but what about the distinction between uh, you know, I mean, look, even if they have their criticisms, uh, the a lot of those left forces you identified you know, do tend to think that, you know, Bernie and, you know, AOC, maybe in a more complicated, a complicated way, way uh, do represent, represent something, something better, better and more reporting support. over regular Democrats. Yes. And I think, you know, Glenn's point would be that some of these, you know, some of these votes, you know, to to send, you know, tens of billions of dollars to uh, Raytheon and Lockheed Martin really undermine that. And so I just wondered if you could speak to that that point for a second before we go back to Glenn.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I mean, that's, that's one issue. There's a lot of other stuff I could put. I mean, you know, Jamal Bowman voting for Iron Dome funding and AOC can, you know voting present, um, you know, stuff like that. So, so I mean, I, I've criticized them for supporting some of the, uh, you know, post-January 6th uh, kind of domestic war and terror uh, stuff. Um, you know, there's a variety of, of votes. I mean, I think I, I should... Without justifying any of this stuff, I think I should try and explain at least what the, the left wing kind of idea is, and, and I think the, the structural impediments that kind of push these politicians to 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 end up taking some of these uh, uh, stances that you know a lot, a lot of uh, people on the on the on the left and on the, on the radical left don't agree with. I mean, a lot of it is to do with the the uh, structure of politics in the United States. Um, There's actually a great Jacobin piece by uh, Seth Ackerman, very uh, famous at this point, called uh, Blueprint for a New Party, which talks about the the legal uh, straitjacket that is imposed in in states all over the country that makes it impossible, basically, to have a viable third party. Um, And so what the left at the moment is trying to do, when I say the left, again, I'm, I'm talking about socialists, I'm talking about people in DSA, what they're trying to do is because you have to be you have to run on a party line one of these two parties and so uh, uh socialists end up running on the democratic party line um there's wide disagreement about it, it within the left about whether this is the right strategy um you know whether the idea is to transform the party or to sort of you know eventually break from it and, and start something else you know there's a there's a wide right opinion but at the moment that is the strategy. And it's sort of, you know, it, it, people are forced to do it because of this very um, oppressive legal structure that's been imposed uh, around the United States to ensure a two-party rule. And, you know, I think what we're seeing with, with these democratic uh, uh, or, the, you know, these, these socialist or left-wing politicians who end up sort of taking some uh, not particularly brave stances, whether it's Ukraine war funding or something else, um is uh you know they they because they are in the structure of that party they end up being beholden to the the same voters uh that that are enthusiastic democrats and so they have to sort of be constantly triangulating almost against themselves um now again i'm not saying this to justify uh anything but this is the important context for why some of these disappointing votes happen and of course you know there's the usual politician stuff and we're talking about politicians remember very distinct from Activists, the, the actual movement, um, people in movements are often very disappointed by politicians, even if they come out of their own uh, out of their own uh, movements and, and, and identify with them ideologically. Politicians are uh, ultimately taking votes and, and making decisions that they want to keep themselves in power, uh, that means they're often far more conservative than, than activists and, and, and movement leaders. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, you know, looking out for themselves uh, because they want to, you know, they'll say to themselves, I want to stay in power, and that way I can do all this good stuff. Um, which of course, the, you know, the, the, the question is, when do those compromises uh, become too much? But I think all of these factors, I, I think are important context to understand um, uh, some of these votes, and again, I'm I'm critical of a lot of stuff that the squad and and, and Sanders uh, do and have done over the years, um, but uh, but you know we have to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's more there's that point. I'd like to pull on, but uh, I want to go back to Glenn to you know because you you've said a lot. I want to give him a chance to respond. Sure, sure.
2: Yeah, no, thank you, Ben. I do have a couple points I want to make absolutely, but before I do, I just want to clarify one thing with you, Marco, about the definitional component because I continue to believe a lot of this is based on. Definitional ambiguities and conflicts as opposed to, say, more substantive conflicts. So, of course, of course, I'm very, very, very vividly aware that not all Democrats or liberals are leftists. I constantly tell conservatives to stop calling Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton or Chuck Schumer the left. And try and get them to see. I think a lot of times people on the right are blind to the doctrinal divisions on the other side, exactly the same way as a lot of people on the left or liberals are blind to the very real doctrinal divisions and, and ideological fights on the right, some of which you're seeing playing out right now in the Kevin McCarthy debacle. But just so we're clear, you know, and I mean, you know, I mean, this has been fundamental to my writing forever. I mean, you know, I was, I think. Widely, and validly accused of being very sympathetic to the Bernie campaign, especially in 2016, less so in 2020, precisely because I saw that split. Right. That was a left liberal split. Um, I saw it more as a neoliberal populist split, but however you want to call it. But just to be clear, do you, are there any members of Congress that you regard as the real left?
1: As the real left, I mean you know there's people that i I think are uh, uh most closely aligned with what i believe and i I'll put sanders and and you know squad members uh there but i mean there's no one there 's no one in Congress who I look at and i go i every single thing I believe in these people are the closest to, to what i am. i mean congress is a very the United States is a conservative country uh, uh you know broadly uh, speaking. Congress is a very conservative institution. Um, so, you know, uh, in terms of what that means, the real left, um, you know, I, I assume that, I, I think Sanders is a, is a, a, you know, a committed socialist, for instance. I think he's someone who, you know, if you read his biography, if you, if you know a little bit about him, he's someone who uh, came out of radical circles, um, but he is uh, a politician. And the reason why he's been able to, you know, <laughs> go from being uh, an elected socialist in the time of Reagan uh, to to eventually running for president, uh, you know, not long after, you know, Obama was running away from the the socialist label, is because he has moderated um, his stances. You know, he he picks his battles. And uh, that means that, you know, a lot of people on the left or people let's say ultra leftist people, you know, will say, oh, you know, Bernie's not really a socialist. He's a, he's a social Democrat or he, you know, he's even just, he's just a normal liberal. Well, you know, if you look at the policy uh, stuff he puts out, yeah, that is true. But, uh, you know, you have to, again, put it in the context of he's someone who's uh, operating in a very conservative environment and a very conservative institution.
2: Okay. But that th- that's exactly my point though, is like, You know, I don't think it makes sense to tell me that I have to, when I talk about the mainstream left in the United States, exclude the most famous, the most powerful and the most influential representatives of that movement, which, for better or for worse, are Bernie Sanders, AOC and the rest of the squad members. They're clearly, when it comes to what people understand to be the American left, the standard bearers of that movement. And of course, I know there are people well to their left. Um, And I'm going to get to that in a second. But, you know, I, it would, I think it would be crazy to tell me that when talking about the British left, I couldn't talk about Jeremy Corbyn or the French left, I have to ignore Melanchthon, or the Brazilian left, I can't talk about Lula da Silva. Of course, these are incredibly important figures when trying to understand what the quote unquote mainstream left is doing. And, and, and contrary to your claim, I always try and make that distinction. I call it the soft left or the Bernie AOC left or the mainstream left. To signify my recognition that, of course, there are people to the left of them making the same critiques I am about them. I don't think it's the entire left. And I'm making these critiques not to ward people off from the left, but out of disappointment and to encourage them to do better on these issues. I mean, you know, we all have our different issues. And if you look at, like, say, cultural war issues or maybe even labor issues and economic policy, you'll see Bernie and AOC more favorably to the left. But on the issues that I'm focused on and I'm talking about like foreign policy and the opposition to the security state, which is what that original tweet was about that started this discussion, my argument is, is that the leaders of this movement, the key members of this movement on the mainstream left pay almost no attention to them. And often when they do pay attention to them, it's to support those agencies and this foreign policy and not to uh, oppose it. I mean, it has to be notable that the most important Figures on the American left in, in Congress are people who, on the single most important foreign policy question of the last, let's call it five years, which is the war in Ukraine, are exactly on the same side as Marco Rubio and Bill Crystal and Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz and Raytheon and the CIA and wanting to send huge amounts of money, and not just money but weapons, over to Ukraine, passing through the CIA and the arms industry, which obviously will take a lot of it. That is the source of my disappointment. And contrary to the claim that I'm trying to divide or segregate people, my entire political project is to get people aware that there are so many people on the left that they're told to hate as communists and socialists who, in fact, they have a huge amount in common with. I mean, you know, I have to you have to acknowledge Frank, that not only am I constantly citing and approving of and encouraging people to go read Jackman articles, but your articles specifically, precisely because I'm trying to get people to say, hey, look, here's, here are people who live up to these values that I'm telling you the left has always traditionally believed in. Like opposition to the US security state or centralized control of tech monopolies over the internet. And that's why I'm constantly pointing and, and heralding people on the international left. You know, I've always said my greatest political wish, if I had one, would be for Jeremy Corbyn to become the prime minister of the UK. And I'm constantly trying to convince people on the right that they've been deceived and misled about who he is. I cite You know, his opposition to vaccine mandates and passports and his arguments about how the cruelty of firing workers for not obeying state orders in the middle of a pandemic to say that there's a lot more common ground, you think. It's why I promote Lula's defense of Assange and Snowden, a big cause on the right, or his defense of um, staying out of the war in Ukraine or his much more balanced view or the views of Milan Shan. And one of my main political projects has been to rehabilitate Ilhan Omar's you know, image among the American right by pointing to the fact that, for example, right after January 6th, Ilhan Omar was the first person in either party to stand up in an interview and warn about the dangers of not revitalizing a domestic war on terror in the name of January 6th because all the agencies in charge of that CIA, DHS, FBI, will abuse civil liberties just as they did in the first war on terror. And, you know, promoting all kinds of things Eliane Omar does. I I always say she's the most interesting and heterodox of every member of the squad because I do think there's common ground. Just let me give you one last example. Just this morning, I promoted this amazing article on The Guardian. I've been following this for a while. Uh, Sarah Wyandert, who's by far the most famous and popular actual leftist politician in Germany. I mean, she's... Her leftist bona fides can't be disputed. She's, you know, a longtime member of the Communist Party. She created her own party that has a lot of popularity in the left, but she still, you know, embraces her Marxist roots. And yet she's finding a great deal of common cause with the right wing populace because she hates NATO and thinks it's It's incredibly incredibly reckless reckless for Germany Germany to to, be so
3: supportive supportive of Ukraine Ukraine.
2: because it will jeopardize the interest of German citizens Mm -hmm. by losing the German-Russian relationship. She has been vehemently opposed to the requirement of COVID mandates. She has the kind of traditional left-wing view on immigration that now gets you called a racist in the American context, which Bernie used to always argue as well, that open borders is a plot by international capital to lower wages um, and, you know, people like her and Shun and Jeremy Corbyn and Lula, who often do take these heterosexual positions and sometimes Ilian Omar and Jacobin are people I'm promoting precisely so that the segregation doesn't take place. But when Bernie and AOC and, and the squad start standing for this neoliberal slash neoconservative foreign policy. And this proxy war in Ukraine or just never talking about the dangers of, for example, FBI and DHS involvement and trying to get the Internet internet censored as the Twitter files are showing. It makes that cause not only harder, but actually it makes the cause less justifiable because every time they stand stand on the side side of the the neoliberal order, order, the argument that there's common ground with people who aren't on the left dissipates and gets much weaker and my advocacy is not about warding people off from the left it's trying to get them to see that there are leftists who share these values you know I've had a show on Rumble for 12 days now or 13 days and on three times I think I put people on from the revolutionary black network who are liberal or who are leftists real leftists who you know are critiquing the squad from exactly this perspective and I want whatever part of my audience that's conservative, to see them and hear from them because they'll see how much common ground there is. But my frustration is that the leaders aren't doing that enough.
1: Well, I don't think... I mean, first of all, Sanders and AOC, the squad, they're not the leaders of the left. They are, they are elected politicians. Uh, very different thing. Okay. Uh, I... I'm not going to go, I can't go through your entire Twitter feed and document, you know, how many times you, you, you've shared Jacobin pieces and other left-wing stuff. I, personally, I haven't seen that much, but, you know, this is, this is the, the, the problem with Twitter. Perhaps I'm not seeing, you know, everything you're posting. Um, let me, let me take you to a, through a tour of a few tweets that you made that, that, that I took an objection to. This was the original one back in May. We, we sort of go into it over this. You said, the only anti-war and anti-imperialism message in the U.S. comes from a few dozen right-wing House members and a few Fox hosts. That's it. That's flat-out untrue. That's just completely untrue. And not only is it untrue because you're completely exc- exclude in that, in that statement, um, you know, publications like Jacobin, people like, like Ben, uh, publications like Current Affairs, In These Times, so on and so forth, uh, organizations like DSA... Um, you're also I mean I mean as, as disappointing as a squad and Sanders have been on on uh, uh, the Ukraine stuff I mean who are the Republicans talking about uh, the Israeli subjugation of the Palestinians? No, they, they to a man support exactly everything that, that the Israeli government has been doing for decades. Uh, meanwhile, the squad is basically the only one, and they get attacked viciously for it for, for bringing up uh, uh, that issue. Uh, I mean, who, other than Sanders, condemned the coup in Bolivia uh, among, among, you know, mainstream politicians? Um, I, I don't remember. Uh, I think he was the only one who did call a coup, even. Uh, so, you know, I mean, and, and that's just the, the elected people, right? So, I mean, then you, you're excluding the entire galaxy of left-wing institutions, magazines and organizations and so on and so forth, that, that are constantly making anti-war and anti-imperialism messages. You know, another another tweet. You know, you said, the problem is that there's little quote-unquote real left in the US. The Bernie AOC left is all that exists. Well, what, what does that mean? I mean, that, that's not true, the DSA has tens of thousands of, well, I mean, Ben, you would know better than me. I mean, what, what hundreds of thousands of members? Uh, Nationally, I mean, DSA has a presence in, in, you know, it it has people elected at at the local government and state governments all over the place. Uh, It has pretty active, uh, uh, you know, uh, activist presence uh, in a a bunch of parts uh, around the country. Uh, So, I mean, you know, you're saying now that, well, you know, you
2: know- I mean, you you just left, I just looked up the tweet, you were, and you just completely omitted the part that are totally negates your argument. argument. I said, default, I mean, the I mean, only anti-war and anti-imperialism I mean, message in the U.S. comes I mean, from a few I mean, Fox, dozen right-wing host I mean, members, and a few I mean, Fox hosts I mean, it. That's it. <laughs> and then the next sentence was, the U.S. left internationally is loudly opposed, but the mainstream U.S. left are cowardly, supportive I'm, I'm constantly putting it in, in that context. context. Of, course of course, I'm aware that there I'm are, heard, are heard, heard what left is, voices.
1: What do you I mean by I've the U.S. left internationally?
2: In, in, in May, May, like six, like six months, months ago, ago read Bronco on how squad. squad, right after the unanimous vote for the $40 billion war package, also uniting with united all, all of to, to support Biden's Biden. ongoing incremental increases of the new domestic war and terror against domestic extremists. I'm constantly supporting, promoting your work because I want the right to, I want it to be more visible. But you please Jack well, we'll and, begin, a, and and Nathan Robinson are not household, household names in, in, in American political right. life. But Bernie they're still left. O'Garr. O'Garr. That
1: doesn't, listen, the, the level of fame and and household uh, name of someone is, does not determine whether they're on the left or not. It, 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 whether they're on the left, whether they're socialists, whether they're, they're radicals, determines... Uh, so, uh, so, like, so what are, well, just very quickly, pardon? very quickly. Uh, I mean, again, you did say that... Uh, the, there's a little real left in the US The Benny AOC left is all that exists. So, I mean, if the Bernie AOC, if you're saying that the main, that Bernie AOC left, you're not saying Jacobin, even though Jacobin and Minnese Times and all these other magazines are very much, and DSA are all associated in, in to the extent that they're known in the public imagination with Bernie AOC, uh, you're saying it's, that's just the main, mainstream liberals and Democrats. You're saying that's all that exists, but that's not true. There is a, there's an entire spectrum. And, I mean, look, I, I appreciate that you shared that piece about AOC, but, I mean, you know, there's stuff I write about that has nothing to do with criticizing uh, uh, squad members. There's stuff I write about constantly about the centralization of power within the DHS, uh, about, you know, uh, the war in Ukraine. I, I mean, I, I haven't seen you share those pieces. Uh, I usually, you know, uh, pay attention to who who shares my stuff. So I don't know if it's quite accurate to say that, that you're constantly sharing yourself. stuff. I mean, well, let's you know,
0: just let's just take so a, step, just, back just take a, a step back here for a second. Uh, and, uh, and by the way, I should say, way, if it's okay with both of you guys, I want to take a few calls in a minute oh, because I think the format's kind of wasted if we don't, don't let other people of get in, um, uh, uh, into this. But so I think so there, there are at, there least, at least two, two different two things. Actually, Bronco, can you mute yourself while I'm because i think we're getting some echo that might that might help um if you can mute yourself for a second there we go uh so i think that there are at least two different like issues going on here so one of them um is about the the politicians and the relationship between you know politicians and activists and i think uh you know you're um and, you know, I think Glenn's point maybe is that, well, the, the activists are very marginal and, you know, and, and, and Broncos might be that they will, you, know, you sort of expect politicians to have all of these conservativizing pressures and to, that are put on them and to constantly have to be pressured by, by activists to sort of live up to their best, uh, ideals. Uh, but then the other issue is, uh, is comparative, uh, that's, uh, that's about, okay, is it like, you know, as part of the claim about the left, I think that Glenn is making is a comparative claim about the the right that they uh, that like these um that these uh these votes uh for you know these votes for funding for for Ukraine which um, you know I know you know you've been very you know you've been very critical of. I've been critical of. our an article in Current Affairs back in May, saying that the they should have, you know, that like, you know, before any funding, you know, any more funding that had already happened, you know, I mean, that you know, that they should have, you know, they should have, you know, like required as a precondition of that some kind of you know, like, you know, commit, you know, commitment to de-escalation and negotiation, because the argument we're hearing was that that they was. Well, you have to you have to arm Ukrainians to put them in a better position for peace negotiations. But then, you know, the the other part, you know, the other shoe never seemed to drop. But that, whereas there were a bunch of Republicans who did uh, vote against that. Uh, and I I think Bronco, you you started to address this a little bit in uh, in what you said earlier. But but I would be interested in in just hearing you kind of like uh just just sort of straight on kind of take that that comparative point, like you know like. OK, you have, you know, in a certain way, we don't have a lot of diversity on, in the uh, in the call about the uh, the Ukraine issue. I think that, you know, I think that all of us have concerns about, you know, superpower tensions and the horrible things that could lead to. And, you know, would like, uh, you know, would like there to be de-escalation negotiation. But um, but, you know, the question is, um, is that, you know, given that there were there were. A uh, bunch of Republicans who who did vote against that does that show that the Republicans overall are better on foreign policy than uh, than these uh, than those members of Congress who are at least closest to what the left as you would define it uh, thinks. Uh, do you do you still think that the or or do you still think that that's the other way around overall?
1: I mean, the Ukraine war is is uh, besides being obviously horrific, uh, is probably the most dangerous conflict going on right now. Um, it is not, however, uh, the, the only, the be all and end all of foreign policy. There's, there's a variety of other things happening. I mean, a lot of the Republicans that voted against that, number one, I mean, it wasn't even necessarily on anti-war, anti-imperialist imperialist grounds. I mean, they, they were doing it because they want to spend uh, more money, uh, you know, if it's just the, the, the classic fiscal hawk objections. Um, number two, a lot of these Republicans that voted uh, against this stuff, you know, part of their reasoning is that they think the real war that the U.S. should be fighting is against China. Um, and uh, a lot of these right-wing uh, uh, members of Congress, um, as at, at the same time of announcing uh, Biden policy in, in uh, Ukraine and towards Russia, basically want to recreate that exact policy but, but change it to Taiwan and China, which, by the way, would be, uh, just as and potentially more disastrous than, than what's going on with Russia, given, you know, China's, uh, economic, uh, heft, uh, and, and by the way, China has, uh, nukes of its own. So that conflict could get pretty disastrous pretty quickly, as, uh, as well. There's, there's a host of other, other things. You know, I mentioned, um, you know, Bolivia, for instance, but what about, you know, uh, uh US sanctions against, I mean, a host of countries, Cuba, Venezuela, Iran? Where, I mean I know that you know this stuff, Glenn, but I mean you know, those are not uh peripheral issues. Uh I mean I think I think it's important to note that, you know, uh I, you know, I have to be put in this position of constantly now defending the squad. But I mean, you know, the, the squad opposes that stuff. Uh they've spoken out against it. You know, I mean uh the Iran deal, I mean, you know, Republicans and don't get me wrong, so are Democrats, but but Republicans are, are very gung ho on wanting to 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 basically uh, either foment regime change in Iran or uh, start a war with it. Um, I mean, Trump very nearly did. Uh, I know, you know, thankfully he was talked out of it by Tucker Carlson, I'll give give, uh, Carlson his his due there. But I mean, uh, the idea that, you know, Ukraine is the only litmus test for whether someone's anti-war and anti-imperialist, I think is not really, it's a very shallow way to think about um, uh, foreign policy and, 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 and politics.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, just to be clear, I just quickly on this yep, foreign policy, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think Ukraine is the most important issue. it's an actual war, very dangerous one. The U.S. is directly involved in it in every way except sending battalions of its soldiers. Um, so, but I think it's 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 the test far and away. I absolutely agree. There are critical foreign policy questions, but like. Come on, I mean, there's no, I, you know, I, 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 I reported on the, the coup in Bolivia from the very beginning. I, I was one of the very first people to interview Evo Morales when he went to Mexico City. I flew to Mexico City and interviewed him. I was reporting on, and you, no one's gonna tell me that there was any meaningful voices being raised in the squad or by Bernie about any of that. And, you know, Venezuela is the perfect case. I mean, one of the most pathetic and ridiculous policies that the U.S. national security state enacted totally on a bipartisan basis was this preposterous farce about recognizing Juan Guaido as the official president or the legitimate president of Venezuela. And when AOC was asked about it in an interview with Telesor, she refused to give her opinion. And she said, quote, I follow, what was was the, uh, the, the exact quote? It was, I defer to caucus leadership on how we navigate this. And of course, caucus leadership was right on board with Trump and Mike Pompeo. In fact, Nancy Pelosi was the first to get up and cheer for Juan Guaido when Trump, you know, welcomed him to the Senate as the the as the the president of Venezuela. So, I mean, yes, they they are better mildly on Palestinian issues though even there, you know what it amounts to like AOC voting no on, on Iron Dome and then changing her vote to present and then crying about it out of some obligation to her Jewish constituents. There's no and there's no Chomsky voices among any of these people in any meaningful way. And when even when they utter something relatively good, then, you know, it's done in the most like cursory, inconsequential way. There's no real movement behind it. There's no real force behind it. Um, and oftentimes it's even worse. I mean, AOC on Israel and the occupation and AOC on Venezuela and Latin America has been, I mean, like affirmatively bad, you know, and given her you know, heritage and, and her, you know, focus that she claimed originally when she was running. I mean, one of the first things that caught my attention of AOC and the reason I, one of the reasons I supported her, she went and tweeted something about how what's going on in Israel and Gaza is such a grave human rights abuse that she refuses to let Democrats off the hook any longer and their support for Israel. And all of those kind of statements disappeared soon as she got to Washington. We haven't heard anything like from, from her like that in forever. So I I'm, I agree there's I don't think Republicans are better on every foreign policy issue. But let me just quickly conclude with this fast story, which is you guys probably remember last year there was this outbreak, let's call it of protest, anti-government protest in Cuba. And of course, every politician and both parties stood up and started saying solidarity with the anti-Castro protesters, and we have to stand on the side of the protesters' bills to give them free internet and give them money. Of course, it was partially it was far from organic. And that night I went on to Tucker Carlson's show, and, you know, he is the most watched and most influential conservative commentator in the country, Bar none. And he brought up, it wasn't even what I was there to talk about. Why is it that idiot Republicans are spending their time on the Hill worrying about the internal affairs of Cuba and trying to intervene in Cuba when we have our own problems to deal with? And that's a major part of what I try and do in Republican politics is to say Trump ran on a platform of staying out of people's affairs. America first, this non-interventionist policy. So why should we be sanctioning Venezuela when it hurts Americans and, and, and our own interests. Why should we be intervening in Cuba? What role is it of ours to overthrow the government of Cuba? And there is now more movement, I think, on the American right than again in the mainstream left where you almost never hear that sort of stuff from anyone except occasionally Ilhan Omar. So. I mean, so I'm not, I'm curious. I just
1: wish there would be more, more of, that. of that. Well, hold on. I mean, so this is what happens. You, you, you've taken a bunch of stuff AOC has said. And again, people, lots of people on the left have critiques of AOC. And then you say at the end, oh, well, you know, aside from Illinois, I mean, well, why don't we, we could just as easily fix out Ilanoma. I mean, Ilanoma condemned U.S. policy in Venezuela. By the way, Sanders did condemn, uh, and, and was the only one who called a coup in Bolivia. So I'm not, I'm not sure what, what you're saying that he wasn't, a, that he was silent on that. I mean, you know, uh, you, I'm not going to go through every single squad member now and go through their entire history and see what uh, good stuff and bad stuff they've said. But I mean, you know, we can, we can pick and choose what we want to, to make any point we want. The, the point that we were making, that, that we were actually talking about in the first place, was not even about the squad. It was about the fact that, again, the vote in Ukraine, sure, uh, uh, that's, you know, an important indicator of something, but it's not the only uh, foreign policy issue. And I mean, you know, a lot of these same people are pushing for war with China. I wish actually I would hear more pushback on the right or people with uh, conservative audiences such as yourself. About the disastrous push, and, and which is bipartisan—you know, both Trump and Biden have done this—to to to move the United States into a into a horrible war with China. But, but, but um, who, and but also, who cr-
2: who criticized that? Like Biden said, we would go to war with China over Taiwan—the first American president ever to say it. He said it three or four times. Who? Which Democrat in Congress? said that that was a reckless thing to say
1: why are we always talking about people in congress i'm talking about people I, I, I like yourself so though, commentators activists sorry, sorry. I, I just uh, i just but, don't
2: this but, to but, get... you know, because again i mean because I, of course there's a good left there's i told you like i'm promoting people on this good part of the left to try and make them more influential and powerful i love those people on revolutionary blackout network i just and I put them on my show constantly and intend to keep doing it. I just checked and I have like cited your articles and Jackman's articles. I think at least eight or 10 times in the last two years, I mean, and I do well, the same.
0: Hold on, hold on guys. I, I do just want to uh, go back to, you know, uh, to the Cuba example and something that Glenn kind of said in, in passing about, you know, Trump saying that we shouldn't be intervening and, in, you know, in other people's affairs. Cause of course, Trump, Trump did say, a fair amount of stuff like that during the election even during the election he was inconsistent but uh but he did say a fair amount of stuff like that i mean i would point out that you know not that i would you know uh not that i think the results are comparable but i mean you know george w bush you know said in 2000 that he wasn't going to do nation building but uh but if you look at you know what he did in office uh you know i mean he considerably tightened uh sanctions on cuba compared to where they were under obama uh, in uh, in that example, uh, he, you know, I mean, we're talking about the Iron Dome funding where most of the squad voted against it uh, with 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 a couple of shameful exceptions. Uh, but, um, you know, but Trump ostentatiously moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem to uh, to, you know, kind of take, you know, take the occupied East Jerusalem off the table for for any uh, for any future uh uh, future peace uh, peace negotiations uh, between, uh, between Israel and Palestine. Uh, he, you know, one of the consistent. I mean, you know, the partisan valence of this completely switched. But like, one of the consistent Republican objections Russia. to Obama was that he was too soft on Russia, and uh, and and Trump did send heavy weaponry to Ukraine in ways totally. that you know that, totally. that, that Obama had never been willing to. So, um, you know, so so I I do wonder if there's a. Um, you know I do wonder if there's a be a consistent standard being applied towards like uh you know even if we're just like ignoring the activists for a second if we're just if we're just doing comparative evaluations of politicians uh towards uh the you know people on the right who might be you know getting credit for uh for anti interventionism when they vote against uh aid packages to ukraine uh in most cases not saying anything about wanting their want peace and de escalation but just saying well you know uh, somebody else should pick up the tab for this. This is too much money in any way. We should be focusing our energy on our real, th- our, our real geopolitical global threat, which is China, uh, you know, or or Trump, you know, like getting credit for 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 just kind of saying that he was going to be less interventionist versus people, people in this the squad who may often, you know, display a real cowardice about sticking to their guns when push comes to shove, uh, but uh, but may still so even with that cowardice, that cowardice. Be uh, more dovish than somebody like Donald Trump in practice.
1: Hey, did you, hey, fall,
0: did you off fall off? Or-
1: or- Wait, hold on. Was that sorry? That was uh, for me. Well,
0: well, that was uh, that was that was to Glenn. But if if you want to, uh, actually, why don't we? Because uh, I keep saying I'm going to do this, I'm not doing it. So I do see we have a caller. So why don't we give the caller a chance to oh, come okay. in, and then I'll go back to you guys.
4: All right, Brady, what's on your mind? No worries, no rush, dude. Much appreciated. Uh, All of you guys for showing up. It takes a lot of intellectual fortitude to stand next to your own idea with uh, someone who disagrees with you, especially in front of a microphone or a camera. And so uh, it's honestly uh, super brave and uh, commendable to anyone who does it these days. I think uh, it's probably the best thing we can do to mitigate war is to have open debate. And I just wanted to, uh, uh, Branko, ask you if, uh, what do you think now at the end of the debate? um, uh, Was it a legitimate criticism he was making? Do you understand the context of his criticisms? And it seems like your main criticism is that he's being maybe a a bit hyperbolic in his speech. Maybe he needs to be careful with the way he says things.
1: Yeah, I would. I would say that's true. I mean, look, I only read out a few tweets. I mean, I can show you. I can show you a bunch of others where I just think that it was. Yeah, really... but you can. You can acknowledge. I, I, however, yes. I, but I, having that's had this conversation, nice. you know, I, I, as will as I as take Glenna's word as Glenn as that. What's that, that, that here, what sorry? Here. Yeah, someone who regularly tweets
4: constantly.
1: We have. Uh, sure. Break
0: it up. A little bit. Really? I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's give let's give a chance to respond.
1: Yeah, I I will say, look, if if Glenn, uh, insists that that is not what he meant, uh, and, you know, I'll I'll take him at his word. Um, I, I think, um, I'm, I'm not sure that that Glenn has been quite as, uh, uh, promotive of, of the US left, the actual US left, the socialist left. Publications like Jacob and, and so on and so forth, as as he says. Um, but but hey, you know what? I haven't gone through uh, Glenn's Twitter feed with a fine tooth comb. Um, perhaps uh, he has, and perhaps uh, that'll that'll change now. That would be really good. I I think I I've shared and linked to Glenn's pieces. I think uh, you know he does a lot of stuff that 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 is uh, a lot of analysis that is actually worthwhile. Um, you know, and I would hope that that perhaps after this conversation. Um, you know, I don't think it's been a very antagonistic conversation, but I would hope that, you know, uh, uh, I would see, uh, slightly more care around some of the language used. And, and yeah, you know, if, if, if Glenn wants to share some of the pieces that, that, you know, not just Jacobin, but any, any left-wing writer, you know, Ben writes a lot of great stuff about. Tech censorship and 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 the war in Ukraine and civil liberties and stuff. I mean, I think it would be really good for given that Glenn has this conservative audience, a sizable conservative audience, it would be a good thing to know, hey, there, there are socialist writers out there. Don't listen to what you hear in Fox News. Socialists do care about authoritarianism. Socialists oppose authoritarianism. Socialists care about civil liberties. They care about democracy. I think that would be a really useful um thing. Not just not just for the for the, for the left in, in the United States, the actual left, but, but uh, you know, for this this wider political objective that, that I think we all share of kind of rolling back a lot of these uh, excesses, particularly since the war on terror.
0: Yeah, I, I want to give Glenn yeah, a yeah. chance to talk yeah. to oh, that. Oh, go ahead,
2: go ahead. No, I mean, I oh. was going to say, you know, I, I mean, I totally agree with that project. Um, like I said, just this morning, I promoted, you know, the most famous and probably the most left-wing politician in Germany as someone who people who consider themselves right-wing popular should take a really good look at. You know, I've constantly tweeted things like, I know she's been demonized by right-wing media to the point of caricature, but Ilhan Omar is easily the most independent-minded and principled squad, squad member, arguably the most de- independent Democrat in, in the Democratic caucus, among other things, and enlisted a bunch of things she's done, including condemning journalists who investigated... People who donated small amounts of money to the truckers' protests. Like she really believes in civil liberties and opposes these agencies. And I am constantly awesome. looking for ways to bring these factions together. I wish there were more Jacobins. I wish you guys had more power and more influence and more reach instead of Sam Cedar or, you know, Hassan Piker or, you know, Chapo Trap House or whatever. I wish you guys were. I think you're more serious leftists and more serious, um, you know, anti imperialists. The problem is. That is not, unfortunately, the most significant voices that that most people hear about the American left, and that's my critique.
0: Yeah, well, I, okay, I, I, mean, I, yeah. <laughs> I have a more positive evaluation of of some of the things, uh, some of the things that Glenn just name checked. But uh, but but if it is okay, because I, I don't know how long I've got you guys for here, and I, I do want to I do want to keep moving. Uh, and and give uh, give a couple more people a chance to speak before we have to end for today. Uh, so, uh, Dundarius, uh, what's on your mind?
4: Hey, you guys hear me? Yep, great. Yeah, I just want to say that I think that part of the um, reason for this discussion getting a little bit heated or, or or whatever is just that it was kind of like a a, a problem of definition that was set up with the the mainstream left where it was described as being pretty much just elected representatives. And then in the next breath as the alternative voice for, you know, correct opinions on this issue, there was this uh, gesture towards like, and Fox hosts, etc. cetera. You know, why, why can't we just use the, use same, the same rubric, rubric for, for the left side? Left side. Maybe maybe, Jacobin writers could be thrown in there as well, so it, it was just sort of set up the, uh, more annoying than anything else. So kind of trivial in, in a way, but quite annoying probably.
0: Well, I would I would assume that Glenn's point there would be that the um, that Fox, you know, even in our wildly fractured news landscape, you know, unfortunately, as he just said, right? I mean, is, is oh, it's the, a much
4: more massive uh, media yeah. entity than than you know Jacobin whatever you yeah. want to say about Jackman and Fox. That's totally true.
1: Okay. Um, uh, let me, I mean, also I want to stress, it, it is definitely not the case that the only discussion about anti-war and anti-imperialism and so on and so forth is happening among a few dozen house members and Fox house. So I think, I really want to stress that. It, that's not true just because we're a small outlet and a bunch of the left-wing outlets that have mentioned the small outlets does not mean that they don't exist or that they're not read. Um, that and, and, you know, I think uh, if, we, if we say stuff like that, then people just uh, – they'll continue to not be uh, read and listen.
2: But but, but just quickly, but, I'll do the, only thing, only- the only thing that has been said during this entire conversation that I resent, even a little bit, I think it's been a very civil conversation. I'm really glad I did it, and I'll keep – stick around for more questions. But the only thing I resent is that you keep referring to that tweet, but you you just omitted the, the second sentence. It's only a 2 tweet sentence where it says, by contrast, the international left and – Uh, The international left constantly is speaking out against these issues, but the mainstream left doesn't. So even that have the, the definitional limitation, you keep trying to say it didn't have, but only by ignoring the second sentence where it was expressed.
1: Well, I mean, the the but the U.S. left is also, not just the international left, the U.S. left domestically is also critical of it. And I mean, you know, I mean, again, I could go down the list of, of, of others, you know, saying that when the AOC and the squad vote for Ukraine, they never talk about it because they know their supporters will never criticize them. That's not true. People are constantly critical uh, from the left of, of AOC. You know, I mean, like I said, I don't want to go through hundred so Bro- tweets Bronco,
0: I, I do just want to follow up on, on Glenn's sure, point for sure. a second uh, before we take the next caller just say like uh just just to kind of you know steel man what Glenn is saying a little bit like I think uh you know in one of the first things you said at the beginning of the discussion you said you you referenced that classic article the uh, was it the blueprint for a new party mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Ackerman one and you said um, that because of the sort of peculiarities of the American electoral system like by peculiarities, I mean, like, wildly anti-democratic uh, setup that, like, uh, prevents more than two parties from meaningfully participating. participated. Uh, but also, we don't really have parties in exactly the same sense that European or Latin American countries do uh, with, like, membership and all that stuff, that there are these sort of weird ballot lines that are loosely associated with machines. So, uh, so that, you know, the only way to, to take office is to, is to run a democratic ballot line. You said that that imposes certain, you know, pressures. So, uh, I mean, look, I, um, you know, I think uh, I'm not going to sort of disingenuously pretend uh, that I have, uh, I have no dog in this fight uh, to, uh, uh, I, I obviously, uh, I obviously do. I, um, I, I write for Jacobin. Uh, I've been you know, fairly clear, uh, like that article I referred to in Current Affairs back in May is called Congressional Progressives Need to Do Better on Foreign Policy, but that doesn't mean Republicans are doves. And it makes this argument that overall, a lot of these Republicans who voted no, even though no, it's truth, actually, what it's I wish the squad did, I think a lot of these people are overall worse some you know, other foreign policy questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I wonder if you might acknowledge this, like a sub-German truth to what Glenn is saying here, because – could it be that, that that those very facts about the American electoral system mean that uh, there is more built-in pressure on on leftists, uh, you know, the people who are the closest, whatever, you know, in Congress uh, to sort of fall into line behind liberal opinion uh, than there is? On the equivalence, you know, I mean, Glenn talked about Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, yeah. you know, obviously, a complicated case because he was <clears throat> in the Labour Party and now he's not. That yeah. like there are other there are other countries where you know parties are running, you know, where leftists are running on their own ballot lines, and there's le- less built-in in pressure. So, I mean, it makes sense to think that there would be a disconnect where the uh, where uh, the sort of approximate equivalence in, in the U.S. wouldn't be quite as good on some of these <laughs> issues as there, as the <laughs> ones in
1: uh, in many other countries. Well I mean that's exactly why I brought it up I'm, I'm, uh, you know because of the fact that that uh, these politicians are working within the the rubric of the democratic party, you end up with you know a lot of disappointing votes not just you know in, in Ukraine, but like I said Israel there's a whole host of other stuff you know the, the rail strike was another example that people were were angry about so yeah, absolutely um, uh, again uh, that's just as context but that's that's why I brought it up
0: okay um let, let's just uh let's let's take steve and then and then go to glenn and we've been going for a little over an hour so if we have to wrap up after that i think this has been i think this has been pretty good but uh uh all right steve what's on your hello,
3: mind hello hi um a lot is on my mind <laughs> as Fair i guess. okay here's what i'm gonna give you uh The actual constitution at this point is not the constitution of uh, uh, 1787. It's the National Security Memorandum 68, written in 1947 by Paul Nietzsche. Uh, The U.S. must fight two wars simultaneously. I'm sorry, two major wars and a half of a war. And this is something that the Democrats and the The Republicans, this is really their constitution. And uh, t- we're mi- this whole conversation is missing it all. I've been a peace activist my whole life. The Democrat, that dog won't hunt. None of the Democrats. The Democratic Party is irredeemable. So uh, thank you, Glenn, for exposing. So- it, okay. P- really, please? So, So I just said what I just said about National Security Memorandum 68. Do you think I've ever voted for a Republican?
0: Uh, probably not, but I just, because that was part of the issue of the discussion
3: here. Uh, yeah, okay. The it, okay, okay, you know, okay. I give okay. you a chance to sound off on that. The two party, I'll be brief because I know you guys are, it's the end of it. The two parties are irredeemable and we keep being suckered into believing there's some scintilla of hope with the Democrats. But there isn't. All we can do is expose reality and hope enough people start becoming active. And that's all I had to say.
0: What would be uh, okay? All right. We lost him. I was gonna. I was gonna ask uh, what his preferred solution would be, but I want to give both Bronco and Glenn a chance to respond. But first, let's just uh, let's just real quick uh, take uh, uh, take Peter. <laughs>
5: Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yep. Sorry, I have to have some food in my mouth. So I'm bilingual, so I follow the uh, Chinese YouTubers and the American, I mean, Western YouTubers, right? So there is a derogatory term in Chinese. It's called a white leftist. And uh, I'm trying to figure out what does that mean? So I think there's two meanings. These are derogatory terms, meaning it's a fake progressive. So... A white leftist means those in the 60s, white a- uh, activists for civil rights. They asked the black civil act activists not to demand too much. Okay? They don't go all the way. They would literally warn the black civil rights activists, don't demand too much. Okay? So Bernie Sanders and the AOC, they are white leftists. They will not go all the way. The second is that a white leftist is like a, a black rightist. In other words, a black conservative. I think one calling host did this. Could not be a real black conservative? You know, I think it's the same level of a suspicious, you know. And so this is the second attribute. I want to label that to what is a white leftist. And third, a uh, quick comment I have. This is that just following the what the uh, previous caller just said. Yes, the two-party system is no longer sustainable, workable for the people of the United States. We have to have that, I call it, triangulation of powers. We have to have the third party, a viable coalition of third parties to literally put both Republicans and Democrats on the notice. So similar to what Ross Perot did, similar to what Jesse Ventura did, so, so that's what I'm hoping for. You know, I'm hoping one day, you know, Glenn maybe decide to enter the political arena and to start a third party of this sort. So that that's the comment I have.
0: Uh, I do think uh the point about you know white leftists and black conservatives that everybody should read more Adolf Reed and uh, and uh, and think about politics a little bit more in class terms. That would be that would be my editorial comment on that. But I want to give both, uh, Glenn and Bronco a chance to weigh in on anything that the college just said. And I I think one last question for Glenn at the end, and then maybe we can wrap this up. Uh, do either of you want to do either of you want to say? Uh,
1: about either yeah, of those? I mean, I mean, I, like I said, the the problem with the third party thing is you should, everyone should read uh, Blueprint for a New Party, a, a Jacobin, J-A-C-O-B-I-N. Uh, it's written by Seth Ackerman. That's that's part of the problem. It's not as simple as just starting a third party. There's there's all sorts of, of impediments, and that is why you know socialists have been kind of corralled into the Democratic Party. Um, so I, I think that's an important thing. I mean, in terms of the. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the point about the white leftists and black conservatives and so was, but uh yeah, I mean it's a derogatory term uh in the US as well, so it's not just kinda Glenn. Yeah, Glenn. Yeah,
2: yeah um uh, well, I'm glad got back to, back. We yeah. Note that I should run for president and the leftist <laughs> in this conversation was Bronco. I'm not really sure how we got there, but I did want to start <laughs> off with the the um the first Collar's point, I'm, I'm sorry I forget the gentleman's name because I'm really glad he brought up this whole National Security State Act of 1947, which of course was the founding of the, the U.S. security state that Dwight Eisenhower ended up warning about that had long been a staple of left-wing politics. I think that's the only part of the conversation that for me was missing, which is my critique is not confined to foreign policy in the traditional sense of who is opposed to war, who's in favor of war. Obviously, I agree that lots of, Trump, of stuff that, that Trump did deviated from his rhetoric, though I think it's notable that the rhetoric that he used in 2016 about these things ended up winning him the Republican Party nomination in a way I think it would be very hard to envision, say, a Democratic nominee running against, say, the Clinton-Obama foreign policy the way Trump ran against Bush-Cheney foreign policy and end up as the nominee. I think that shows something about at least what the base of the Republican Party wants to hear. But the main point I want to you know emphasize from that caller's point was that It's not just foreign policy. It's also the question of the CIA, the the, the, the DHS and the FBI. The idea that these are incredibly malicious agencies who are interfering in our politics in deeply unconstitutional and destabilizing ways has always been a staple of mainstream left-wing politics. So it's not just the foreign policy problem, but also... We just had, you know, a dump of documents from Twitter's corporate headquarters, and you can argue about what they do and don't show, but one thing they clearly show, and other things have showed it, including a leaf on Ken Klippenstein investigative piece from October, is that these agencies are heavily involved in trying to get more involved in how our political discourse is censored and policed over the internet. This should be something that every person on the left is horrified by, because obviously, some right wing populists will end up being censored, but so will and have been a lot of left wing populists. The first reporting I did on, F- on Facebook censorship was a story about how the Israeli government submits to Facebook lists of Palestinian activists and journalists they regard as terrorists, which to the Israeli government means people who criticize the Israeli occupation. And in 95 percent of the cases, Facebook censors them. Where is anyone in the squad or in the kind of mainstream left objecting to this union of state and corporate power, of big tech and Washington power in the U.S. security state to censor the Internet? Something that I just don't understand why it's not a, a major cause of concern. Again, I mean, I don't want to restrict what we call the left or the mainstream left to members of Congress. So I think clearly they're an important part of that piece. But I don't think there's any objection from them, nor is there much objection to the larger kind of left liberal media outlets that built their brand around, uh, built their brand around AOC and Bernie, and so it's not just foreign policy, but also the civil liberties components from these.
1: Ages. Well, I mean, hold on, because I mean this is the problem with these terms; they just, they seem to shift around, what you know, when, when whatever way is convenient. I mean, you know, a lot of people would say that that uh, Jacobin and. and a million other outlets that I've mentioned have, uh, uh, maybe not built their brand, but are certainly associated with those two. And they, we, we have published stuff about, about the Twitter files. Um, you know, uh, uh in terms of, uh, I agree that there isn't enough, uh, criticism of, of this from the, from the liberal side. Um, I think, unfortunately, part of that, it's not entirely to do with it, but part of it is the way that this has been, uh, reported out. I think, uh, I think it was done in a way that if you had planned to make it so that, um, that, that basically one half of the entire political spectrum would just not take it seriously, ignore it. Uh, you couldn't have done a better job because, you know, by, by choosing all these kind of conservative examples and, you know, having it go to, to you know, Barry Weiss, who are not, you know, by any means consistent. Um, but, 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 but
2: it was defense. done by Cle- well, Ken Kleppenstein and Lee Fong, you know. Eventually, yes. Earlier.
1: And that's. Yes, and eventually that—that that was the stuff that was taken seriously. That was the stuff that was reported by the New York Times, for instance, re-reported by the New York Times, and and I saw people sharing that stuff. But unfortunately, because people thought, oh, this is just a, a stupid right-wing hobby horse, this has nothing to do with anything, uh, it, it made it very easy to to dismiss. I think I think you know, uh, again, I I have written and I've tweeted a bunch of stuff trying to tell people, hey, no, you should take this seriously. This is really important. But I do think that you know it, it, there is some responsibility owed to the way that this was was reported. Uh, uh, to begin with, um, I will say, you know, way, in terms, uh, quickly, does the A, C, Bernie left, whatever, whatever, meaning, If we're talking about the the mainstream left with people in Congress, to the extent that that is even important, because again, my focus here is, is on the actual movement and on the actual institutions outside of Congress. But if we're talking about that, I mean, Rokana actually has taken a pretty good position on this stuff, and he actually ha- took a very uh, good and, and brave position, I think. Uh, on on the Ukraine war too. I mean he was one of the few people that stood by um that, that letter that progressives um you know shamefully uh, withdrew under attack. So, you know, let, let let's not totally um pretend that, that didn't happen.
0: So so no, I, I, do, I do just want to say real quick, um you know Glenn made this point about Okay, Trump. Uh, even though in practice there were a lot of things that he did uh, in in Cuba, in Israel, Palestine, uh, in Ukraine, in Ukraine, uh, in Iran, uh, in Iran, uh, God, Iran. Yeah, I mean, Iran may be worst of all. Uh, in uh, in Bolivia, right back in the coup, which which I will say, Bernie Sanders did talk about a lot. Yeah, in, in the um, but uh, that at least he ran. On this, uh, this more dovish uh, rhetoric, and he still won the Republican nomination. But I, I do wonder about that argument because, even in um, you know in two thousand eight, uh, you know, like Barack Obama, uh, you know, pretended to be much more dovish than he was when he was running for president. Uh, one of the reasons that that's that's like vivid in my mind is because uh, you know every week I was reading Glenn Greenwald and Salon talking about the disconnect uh, between that and what he actually did, uh, the uh, the rhetoric and the uh, the reality. Uh, and and even in um, I mean I, I think it's more complicated, but in uh, 2016 and, and even 2020, um, you know that uh, Bernie Sanders, who ultimately uh, lost, of course. Although I I wonder if part of the re- you know part of the disanalogy where where Trump won and, and Sanders lost uh, is is that uh, the Democratic establishment learned their lesson from 2016 in the Republican side that the uh, that uh, the um, that the more mainstream Republican candidates never actually consolidated behind one champion in time uh, to uh, stop Trump, and the uh, and the more mainstream Democrats did in 2020. But um, you know, certainly, uh, I mean, I remember in the 2020 election, um, you know, Bernie and 2016. I might be mixing up some of which one of these happened, but you know, Bernie got a lot of flack for refusing to call one, uh, for refusing to call Maduro a dictator. Uh, for uh, you know, for uh, for for his past comments about Cuba, and Nicaragua, which he uh, which he stood behind, uh, you know, he there was there was famously in 2016 the disagreement about Kissinger. Kissinger. So, I, I do I do wonder, uh, you know, like especially and, and then especially just just to wrap wrap up before. Uh, right. uh, you know before i i go back to you glad like just whether a lot of the disconnect a lot of the the disanalogy i mean it's it's not uh is it really that the democratic base is more hawkish than the republican base i mean i'm sure that's true contextually about about russia now but like uh, is that the reason why those two primaries ended differently? I mean, or or is it, or is it ultimately, ultimately? the uh, Democratic establishment was smarter about how they stopped Bernie, and also so a, lot a lot of a lot of a voters, voters uh, voted, voted for, Biden for Biden in the in primaries the primary, not because they, they I'm sorry, sorry Brock, can, can, can you mute? Oh sure. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, not because. Uh, because uh, uh, not because a lot of voters voted for Biden in the primaries, not because they uh, they thought that Biden's foreign policy views were necessarily better than than Bernie, uh, but uh, but because uh, but because they just thought that he was you know like pragmatically a better you know a better shot at beating Trump in the general election you know which I, I think is what most voters expressed in exit polls. So I wanted to ask about that, and I, I wanted to also ask because um, because I was a little afraid it was, it was getting lost in the uh, a lot of the other things that we talked about about one of the points that uh that Bronco made uh which was about which was about China uh and uh and it was that a lot of the um uh that a lot of the, the Republicans who who seem you know like almost the same way that like mainstream democrats used to criticize Iraq because it was a distraction from Afghanistan <laughs> a lot of uh you know like People a lot of Republicans who voted against some of the aid packages to ukraine you know like said that they thought it was a distraction from from uh, from the bigger threat that was that was China, like Josh Howley for example uh, has been a big backer of of sort of aggressive moves to uh, to 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 bolster you know to bolster taiwan and so um you know i I just wanted to give you a chance at the end of the conversation to sort of uh, to sort of speak to, uh, to, to both of those things. And then just to anything that you felt had gotten left out, you know, over the course of everything we've said so far.
2: So, yeah, I mean, just, you know, first of all, when Obama ran in 2008 against the war on terror and one, he was running against, he was denouncing a Republican policy, right? He was denouncing Bush and Cheney. That was their war on terror. Um, so I think that is a lot easier than, say, what Trump did in 2016, which is very, he very pointedly, he always went out of his way to make clear he wasn't just running against the Democratic establishment, but the Republican establishment as well. I mean, he not only denounced Bush-Cheney foreign policy orthodoxy, but also uh, Reaganomics and, and its inapplicability for, for the current age with the industrialization and the like, and, and he won. And I think, you know, again, I mean, Tucker Carlson, the, which I think is a relevant example um, because of how massive of an audience he has and how much influence he wields among Democratic, among Republican Party politics. I wish Jacobin wielded that much influence on the other side. You know, is somebody who to this very day, you know, crusades for Julian Assange and Edward Snowden because they are heroes who revealed the secrets of the national security state. The Republicans want to do a church committee um, You know, investigation of these security state agencies and, you know, constantly Tucker is at least as aggressive in denouncing Republican Party politics as he is in Democratic Party politics on the China issue. You know, I think it's hard to know. This is guesswork. We don't yet have a war with China. Um, You know, I there's a lot of for sure hawkish rhetoric among Republicans that disturbs me and alarms me. Um, Among Republicans, there's also a lot of very hawkish rhetoric as usual among Democrats when it comes to China that disturbs me as well. So when I'm pointing out things like, hey, look, there's a real right wing populist constituency in favor of kind of withdrawing from dominating the world through our military, through appeal to arguments that this is all going to waste and isn't benefiting the American people. This is stuff that Trump says. And he won stuff that Trump Tucker says, and he's the most popular conservative. My argument is not geared toward trying to convince people that therefore Republicans are better. My argument is to tell people who care about these issues, either on the right or on the left, that there's real opportunity to build coalitions with people who you're taught to hate and are on the other side and who might even have views that you find Horrible and anathema in other instances, both going in both directions, because there's a lot more of these views among the American right than people on the left think. And there's a lot more among leftists than people on the American right think. And this is the union that I'm, I'm this intersection in which I'm trying constantly to work. You know, it's not, I'm not here to say the Republican Party is the new Chomsky party. Of course they're not. You know, they're still dominated by the Republican establishment. It's the reason Mitch McConnell is their leader in the Senate. You don't get a more traditional or hawkish political leader than he. You know, I think one of the big issues when it comes to China is going to be that Wall Street is so in bed with China that they're going to be a real constraint. I mean, when's the last time he went to war with a country that a major, major American power center was allied with and, and favored? So I think there's a lot of to come when it comes to China. But I just want to be clear that my point in pushing the left to embrace these issues more and to point out that oftentimes it's the mainstream right that's doing it more is to simply kind of bring these groups together over the wall that has been put in in, in, in between them to ensure that they never unify.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, let me uh, just stress that the, the left is once again is focus on these issues I mean a, a, a Jacobin I and others have written about not only Ukraine stuff and and and, and the and Insane approach to Russia, but also what is happening uh, uh, in, in pushing the US towards war, war with China, which is not just hawkish rhetoric. I mean, uh, uh, Congress has been voting for uh, piling in uh, more and more weapons into the country. It's been voting for uh, basically uh, slashing and getting rid of the the the, the you know the policy of strategic ambiguity and the One China policy, um, which is all. You know, factoring into, into Chinese leadership's, uh, decision making around, you know, do we invade Taiwan now or later or do we, you know, do we not invade at all? So, you know, I, the left. I don't think the left really needs to be pushed on this, um, but I think it is important for people to know that the left is is uh, actively uh, involved in these fights. Um, I, I think uh, I agree with what you said about the you know the the, the constituency and conservative circles around you know a more of an anti-war, or at least a non-interventionist policy. I think actually the Obama and Trump examples are, are both actually really important for this because what they show, and and polls bear this out, they've shown this for years, is that the American public. Um, liberal conservative democrat republican independent whatever uh consistently favors a far more measured and restrained foreign policy um than than the uh the the political elite in the country uh carry out uh it it, largely you know the reason why you get this very out of control i think uh uh, national security state and and, you know you know the, the blob and all that is because uh democracy in the united states has been you know, basically, uh, uh, eviscerated over, over decades, you know, with, with really money rules, everything, not just, uh, you know, in, in both parties, uh, and, and what you end up getting is that that there's no real democratic accountability to to what's going on in Congress and especially with foreign policy, which is never really a top of mind for people anyway, but it allows people, uh, in power to basically get away with whatever they want along with the, you know, the various undemocratic institutions that exist to allow them to do that um just one more point you know i think we've been talking a lot about how trump you know ran on all this stuff which you know some of which I, I agreed with you know the more anti-war stance the kind of uh flirtation with rejecting reaganism all of that was was good and then of course once he was in uh in, in office he governed like a very regular republican he wanted to slash social spending he wanted to throw uh, you know, poor people basically off off, uh, off off the government roles. He wanted to, well, you know, he w- nearly went to war with Iran. He was kind of iffy and wishy-washy about actually withdrawing from Afghanistan, so on and so forth. You know, tried to foment coups, uh, stepped up drone bombing, etc. etc. Et um, now, would we say that because Trump is you know the nominal leader of the of the movement of the people that voted for him that that what he did in office reflects on the the, the the movement behind him or the people who voted for him. That actually that means that that they themselves are, are tainted. Um, I, I don't think I would take that position, but I think that's some of what we see when we talk about how, you know, well AOC and Bernie are the leaders of 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 the socialist left and so therefore whatever they do, you know, reflects um, on the on the wider movement. I don't I don't agree with that. I think Trump, AOC, Bernie, all these people, they're politicians. They, they are uh, connected to movements, um, some more, some less. But at the end of the day, uh, they're, they're just elected officials that, you know, if you're an activist uh, or just an ordinary voter, you are hoping that you can exert enough pressure on them to actually do what you want. I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, uh, the, the leading lights of, or the be all and end all of the movement. I think that's an important thing to, to keep so in mind. It's
0: been, uh, so it's been, uh, I not haven't, I to haven't, I haven't aware of everybody's time. Um, I, I should say, uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm obviously, uh, because I am, you know, trying to, uh, to, you know, referee this in a fair way, even though obviously, uh, obviously I, I I come out of, uh, you know, I, I, You know, I would, uh, you know, look, I wrote an article for for Compact saying that uh, that, you know, that uh, if if Bernie ran again, even at his age in 2024, uh, you know, that uh, that I I would support him, uh, which uh, which I would. uh, So so I'm obviously not neutral. And, you know, and I I think that's been reflected in, you know, in in some of my interventions in this. Uh, But I think it's it's only fair to give Glenn uh, the last word as we wrap up.
2: No, I appreciate that, Ben. I mean, we're never going to get to the point where I declare I have nothing else left to say. So I'm content to, to end it, and, and in part because my team is getting increasingly angry at me because I need to go prepare a show for tonight. Um, <laughs> I think it's been a, a great discussion. I'm, I'm really glad we did this. I think it's a testament to the need to bring these things off of Twitter. Um, yeah, and I, I really think both of you and, and everyone who, who, who was here and asked questions, I think it was an illuminating discussion. I hope we can do these again
0: absolutely i would really like that i will let you get ready uh, for uh, for your show and we will uh, we will call it there i will just uh i will just remind people uh that um that uh this show is going to be off for the next three days while i'm traveling but we'll be back on at the usual time which is seven eastern on um,